Now, this morning uh, we conclude what has been three weeks on the subject, the potential of a praying church. And uh, once again, our passage is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. You'll find that on page 811 in the church Bibles. The Lord Jesus teaching on prayer and our main focus this morning will be on the final uh, three lines or petitions in the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So let's read the whole passage and then I'll pray And then we'll study it together. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us understand this. Our Father, we thank you for the honesty that you have brought to us as a church family as we have studied the subject of prayer. We all, every one of us, find prayer difficult and hard. Thank you for the liberation that comes with honesty. And we pray, Lord, that you would get us over the line of the difficulties and help us to begin to pray a little bit more like the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. And so make us, we ask, a praying people. Make us, we ask, a praying church. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, some notes inside the service sheet to help us, as ever. And the teaching of the Lord Jesus here, as we have seen, is very practical. Practical help with prayer. All of us find prayer difficult in some way or other. And even if our prayer life is currently healthy and encouraging... We can readily recall periods in our Christian life when that has not been the case. All of us find prayer difficult. Jesus' teaching is practical and helpful 
in that regard. Honesty. Honesty has perhaps been the watchword of this short series. Honesty has been the watchword of the many conversations and correspondence I have had with you. A collective honesty with one another that we are not alone in finding prayer difficult. One of the aspects of honesty that you've struggled to get your heads around in conversations with me is that your minister finds prayer difficult. Honesty. Before God and together is what liberates us to put things right. And then sincerity. The Lord Jesus has warned us against praying to be seen or thought well of by others. And the Lord Jesus has reminded us that is one channel us to God, one ear worth bending, one set of eyes who looks at us when we pray, God's. And for some of us, what the Lord Jesus says about sincerity is a warning. Stop trying to impress people. For most of us, though, it is an encouragement to be reminded that we are praying for the ear of God, the eyes of God, and the heart of God. And so we need not worry as much as we did what others around will think of us. One of the areas we worry about most is an acute sense of our inability to say the right words in the right way, especially out loud in the company of others. So how very helpful it is when the Lord Jesus says to us, stop worrying about all these phrases and just talk to me, talk to my father, talk to your father in the same way as you talk in your own family. Please and thank you and sorry and will you and I love you and can you and help me. And the most powerful encouragement to me has been to hear some of you pray for the very first time out loud in a little group and the blessing to others has been astonishingly powerful honesty, sincerity and simplicity liberates us we are praying to our father in heaven our orientates our minds and hearts away from who? Me, to you, to others, to God's global family. Father is intimate, approachability, but he happens to be in heaven on his throne, so there is reverence and awe. And then priorities, God first, then us. God first, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means to pray with kingdom vision for the honoring of God's name in this church, in this city, in this nation, in his world. It means to pray that God's kingdom, the scattered gatherings of communities of faith, which is the kingdom of God in the world, they would be strong and vital and they would be multiplied. More churches, more leaders, 
And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the outworking of the moral will of God. God's expectations for how his people should live in these churches all over his world. God first, then us. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we need to be concerned about God's priorities. We need to keep God's priorities our main focus. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But God is not in any way indifferent to our everyday needs. It's a bit like we need to get our head around the fact that he is father and sovereign. You can't fuse the two together. He's both. And we need to get our heads around the fact that we are to pray for big stuff like the stuff the Lord Jesus prays for. The honoring of the name of God, the coming of his kingdom, and the outworking of his moral will on the earth. And then we've got to get our heads around the fact that we need to pray for the basic day-to-day stuff of life. And God is concerned for both. The us stuff matters a great deal to God. After all, we are his children. And notice when you get to the back end of the Lord Jesus' teaching on prayer, the emphasis is still on us, never on me. So it is not give me my daily bread, it is give us our daily bread. It is not forgive me. So your natural prayer would be, Lord Jesus, forgive these sins in my life. It's not says that, it says forgive us and lead us not. Who are the us? Well, the us, primarily, are the people sitting around you in this room. God's kingdom is church communities on earth. So the us is us. Or in your small group, they're the really us. Because you know them well enough to pray, give us today our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. We are the us. Now let's consider each of the petitions in turn. Give us this day our daily bread. And that is to pray for the basic essentials, the necessities of life. When we run out of stuff in our house, Sally uh, will send me out to Tesco often for what? Bread and milk. And, and that really does happen quite often. You can't survive without bread and uh, milk. Unless that is if you live in Motherwell. I've been in Motherwell for the last two days at a Keswick event. And it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. They bless me no end. But they don't eat bread and milk. They eat scotch pies. 
And if you're listening online in Motherwell, they are the best Scotch pies I've ever eaten. And they only eat Scotch pies. So, bread and milk or Scotch pies. Now, daily bread means physical stuff. So my illustration is not just humorous. It is physical stuff. I did a, speaking last night, got myself into a bit of a jam and said, uh, thank you for the lovely food. It's the most unhealthy food I've eaten in years. And then I thought, look, I thought, what am I going to say now? I said, well, in the new creation, Scotch pies will be fat free. (laughs) And that seemed to settle them. They were happy with that. I mean, you go to the football in Motherwell. I went yesterday afternoon to football. You get a whole array of options of pies. Anyway, get them out of your mind. <laughs> but it is food. It's normal stuff. What do we pray for to God? Daily bread means physical stuff. It means food and home and health and strength and family and friends. We are to pray according to the Lord Jesus. Give us these things. Now, do we pray that every day? If not, why don't we? Let me suggest some why don't we answers. One, because we think God doesn't care. So we confuse priorities with soul concern. It's not the same thing. God does care, so don't be afraid to ask him for day-to-day ordinary stuff. Or maybe we don't pray, give us today our daily bread, food, home, health, strength, family, friendships. Because of a sense of self-sufficiency, material self-sufficiency. We think we are able to take care of ourselves and supply all of our needs. Well, we can't. We need to realize and express that realization to God in prayer that the ultimate source, the foundation... Of all that we have is the hand of God. It is to acknowledge that all that we are and ever will be and have and possess is ours through his mercy and his grace and that alone. Or maybe we don't ask God for this stuff because we think we might, in so doing, be praying for prosperity. Heaven forbid. We think we might be praying for health and wealth. So should we pray for good health? Absolutely, yes. But if our health goes, if our health is taken from us, the floor does not fall out of the real Christian's life. For God is there to buttress the floor with strength to endure each day. Should we pray for wealth? Well, we should pray that God will give us what we need. And if he gives us or puts us in a job where we have far more than we need, we pray that we will steward it wisely. In my experience, Christians who have the most materially 
often tend to be the ones who steward their wealth the wisest. The challenge is in that middle ground of grey matter between adequacy and luxury. And of course, almost all of us in this room fall into the biblical category of luxury. There are three categories of material wealth in Scripture, poverty, adequacy, luxury. We're all at the top end. And therefore, when you pray, give us today our daily bread, oftentimes the answer is that we share what we have with the us, whoever they are. Praying for the basic physical necessities of uh, life. One of the dangers in a kind of evangelical church world is that we immediately run with a give us today our daily bread to the spiritual end of the spectrum and forget all the physical stuff. It's absolutely right to pray for that. Bread, milk, scotch pies, health, family, friends, and steward what God gives us, for the us is in our lives. But daily bread also means spiritual stuff, the spiritual essentials, the spiritual necessities of life. Bread is used in the Bible, not least in the teaching of the Lord Jesus, as a metaphor for spiritual needs. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So you go to Tesco's for bread and milk. You go to Jesus for spiritual food and spiritual water. And so to pray, give us today our daily bread, is to pray that God will give us every day all that we need in Jesus for life. And what is it that we need? Let's be specific. One, wisdom. We've just sung, may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say, I want to speak like Jesus, think like him, act like him. And to do so, I need to ask him to give me wisdom, give me speech, give me actions like him. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And let's not take a sentence like that in scripture and caveat it and footnote it and write an essay on it and worry about what it means. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. One of our elders this week, and it's right to say this to you, I think, because we need to be honest here. It was like in our session meeting this week, our elders meeting, it was like he had a telephone to God. Just wisdom, 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 one after the other in the comments. It was remarkable. And he said afterwards, I said, what did you have for tea? A scotch pie. He said, I'm praying every day to God that he'll give me wisdom. If you do not ask, you will not have. It's striking, isn't it? Let's not complicate this endlessly. Wisdom, 
is spiritual food. Another one is growth. Food makes you grow up. Milk and bread. Appropriating the stuff we need in the Christian life from the Lord Jesus makes us grow. Praying for spiritual stuff every day gives us assurance. Keeps us steady and at the very basic level it just gives us what we need to go through another day. And sometimes that is all we can, all we need is to get through another day. What happens when we do not ask God for the spiritual stuff? One, we lack wisdom. Secondly, we don't grow. Thirdly, we lack assurance and peace. And oftentimes we feel we just cannot go on. Here's a, a great uh, old hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Which is a poetic summary of James chapter 4 verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes God gives us when we do not ask. Or when our prayers are no more than groaning which are still real prayers. But if we want wisdom, if we want to grow, if we want assurance and peace, if we feel we cannot go on, we pray, Lord Jesus, give us today wisdom, speech, actions, growth, peace, Joy, capacity to get to tomorrow morning in one piece spiritually. Now, if material self-sufficiency in the Christian life is a danger, so also is spiritual self-sufficiency. And one of the devil's greatest and most sophisticated and nasty tactics is when we need spiritual help the most we begin to pray for it less and less. Because he convinces us, says us, that it'll not help if we pray. Or that God is angry with us in some way. And uh, the spiritual stuff we get as uh, every day, we get as we read the word of God and pray it into our lives. Jesus' words in Matthew 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How do you get spiritual wisdom? How do you grow every day? How do you get assurance? How do you get the strength to go on another day? You read the word of God, and it's not that you're reading an ancient book. You're reading God's words, and God's words come to you by God's spirit into your heart, into your mind, and therefore the mind of Christ, my Savior, begins to control all I do and say as we listen and read God's words. And this praying for the essentials of life is for every day. You can't get through a day without bread or milk. You cannot get through the day without a square meal. You just can't. You might manage a bit, but you wilt. And of course, in many parts of the world, people, people die because they have no food. You cannot get through a day without spiritual help. It's why we sing, give, uh, I need thee every hour, not I need thee every day or every month or every fortnight. 
or I need thee when I really think I need thee. I need you all the time, God. I need you, Jesus, all the time with me. And he's there. He's there. He's not even beside us or, or an arm's length away. He's inside of us. And all that we need for life and godliness is there if we ask him. Next, praying daily for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. That just means sins. As we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. Debts, trespasses, that just means sins. Different words meaning sins. Praying daily for the forgiveness of sins. And this is not praying to be saved in the sense that when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and believe in his death for our salvation, we are fully forgiven past, present, and future sins. We have full assurance of salvation because it was wrought for us by Christ on his cross. No condemnation, the penalty of God. So to pray each day, forgive us our sins, is not to pray for the removal of the penalty. It's gone. The daily forgiveness that we are instructed by the Lord Jesus to pray for is not for our salvation because we are saved. It is for the outworking of that transformation, that salvation in our lives. What uh, we sometimes call sanctification, being made more like Jesus. Because we are not yet the finished article. And given that we are on the theme of honesty, if anyone is the finished article, please uh, uh, come up and uh, tell us how to do it. We will be one day, wonderfully, but we're not there yet. And so we pray each day, Lord Jesus, forgive me this sin and help me to grow. What happens when we do not pray for daily forgiveness? We will not grow as Christians. What happens if we do not ask God to forgive us our sins? They will not go away. So why is it that we do not pray for daily forgiveness? One, because we don't want to change oftentimes. Let's be really honest and admit that sometimes we like the sins that we engage in. We don't pray for daily forgiveness, secondly, because we think we can't change. Because it's hard. Or because the devil has whispered, you will never, ever change. Or we don't pray for daily forgiveness because, and uh, here's tactic 10 of the devil, he has broken the rhythm of the daily repentance and praying forgiveness so that we just have forgotten how to do it. Let me ask you another question. Are you growing in the Christian life? Are you really growing? Have you grown in the Christian life in the last three months? In terms of sin in your life, is it going or is it still going on? That stuff you do not have because you do not ask. Now, let me give you some practical applications about asking for daily forgiveness. Three of them. One, be specific. We need to be specific about our sins. We need to not pray for forgiveness of sins at 30,000 feet. We need to pray at ground level. And so vague generalities don't really hit the mark for me in my life. So, so what are the specifics? What are our thoughts? 
the state of our hearts is there pride or self-righteousness or hypocrisy or judgmentalism or hypocrisy, envy. And if, if you've got all of these things, well, come and pray with me afterwards. But we have some of them, don't we? All of us. Covetousness. What about our words? Our harsh rebuke of others? Our sarcasm, our virgality? Our suggestive and untoward comments? What about our deeds? How do we treat our spouses, our children? Our parents, our neighbors, our employers, our employees, our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we respond to God, his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness to us? How do we stack up on the specifics? That's one application. Come down from 30,000 feet to ground level. Let me be very direct. How do we speak of each other in this room when they can't hear us? Mostly well, I trust. Second, be contrite. The second practical thing is to come to God and ask for forgiveness with a genuine spirit of repentance, with a genuine contrite heart. There is a world of a difference between saying, well, you can say, Father, forgive my sins, and have no sense of the need of forgiveness for that sin. Why in the Lord Jesus teaching us to pray here, does he say, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors? Why does he add that bit, as we also have forgiven our debtors? Surely that's not a condition on his forgiveness, which must be unconditional of grace. What he's doing, I think, is saying to us, if you do not have a spirit of forgiveness to others, you're just not in a place whereby your heart is contrite and repentant to come to your Father to ask for forgiveness. If you are not penitent and repentant with that specific sin, your Father will not forgive you, for he needs you to want to be to be forgiven. If we are self-righteous, he will not forgive us. Forgive us our sins will be empty words, devoid of genuine penitence, contrition, feeling the weight and seriousness of sin. You see why you need to come down from 30,000 feet to confess your sins each day to God? Because it's when I, and, and that's why it's very helpful just to say to God what the sins are in my life in the words that I can understand and own up to myself and let my conscience articulate itself out loud what they are and feel that over and against the top end of the prayer, the hallowing of the name of God, the honoring of the name of God, and let them fuse together as you pray to your God who is your Father and your Sovereign. And then God will move us by His Spirit to say, please God, will you forgive me and enable me no longer to sin in this way? And it's not the crisis stuff that we need to pray for every day. It's the volume one and two stuff, the background noise that we need to confess to God. One other thing uh, on verses 14 and 15, the importance of a forgiving spirit in a church family. 
sin to be forgiven needs to be repented of. But when we repent of our sins to God, what does God do? He's wonderful. He uh, forgets them. And in a church family, we need to be as forgiving as God is forgiving. And move on when wrongs have been confessed. Now, thirdly, verse 13, praying daily for protection and deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we are serious about sin and pray with contrite heart, what's the natural thing you do when you say, Father, and with a genuine repentant spirit, forgive me this sin. What is the natural next thing to ask him to do? Lead me not into the place of temptation ever again. That's what he's saying. Is temptation real? I would love us to be in Africa one day and you all shout out, yes, brother, it's real. (laughs) Imagine that, eh? Imagine that. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What is temptation? Unbelief. Cynicism, there's a horrible area of temptation. Despair. The temptation of anxiety. And I think that is a temptation, and I say that with all that I can muster by way of pastoral reality. The temptation of lust, of envy, of greed, of covetousness. Or think of temptation in this way. Maybe this is helpful. Places that I should not go people I should not be with, things that I should not have. Places I should not go. And I'll let you join up the dots. People I should not be with. Things I should not have. You see, when you are specific and honest, you move to the point where there is a genuine transformation that happens. Are we prone to temptation? What are we saying? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And how you sing these hymns, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to wonder, Lord, absolutely, that hits the nail on the head. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Why do we need to resist temptation? One, it glorifies God. Two, it pleases God. Three, it makes us like Jesus Christ. And four, temptation never, ever, ever leads to satisfaction in the end. If you ever meet or speak to someone who has been addicted to pornography or alcohol or drugs or any of these things, it always leads to brokenness in the end. Always. So what should we do? Pray to God each day and ask him to do two things. One, lead us not into temptation. And that is to pray to God, please God, by your power, keep me away from the places, the people, and the things that will cause me to fall. And they will vary from person to person. 
If we do not ask, we will not have. And then if we find ourselves in the place of temptation, in the heat of it, in the heart of it, we pray, deliver us from, notice the change of words, not from temptation, from evil. Why? Because at the heart of the place of temptation is the prince of darkness, the prince of this world, Satan himself. Deliver us from evil. That's striking. How does God deliver us? Because he is stronger than the power that grips us. Because he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. He strengthens us to overcome the temptation. He removes the tempting circumstance from us. And he removes us from it. And there you go. The three practical petitions at the end. So very practical. So very real. Now let me finish up this short series by asking us what difference will this make? Well, lots of differences. One that we will be honest with ourselves and each other. I told uh, Keswick and Motherwell that uh, for the first time as minister, I really have begun to think that we are being really honest about stuff. Of course, it could just be I've got the gift of the gab and I've kind of roused us all up to be honest for a few weeks. Let's pray that long after this little series is done, the word of God will be at work in many of our lives. What difference will it make if you stopped praying that you started again? I told you about my moleskin diary a few weeks ago. Nobody in Motherwell knew what a moleskin diary was, so I had to tell them. So it was a posh notebook. And one of them said, what on earth are you doing spending your money on that? Good question. So let me say to you again, I've got a new Moleskine diary to fill up with points for prayer. Not because, and I know you don't believe me, not because my last one was full. It wasn't. I didn't have one. So many of you have asked for practical help for structuring a a more ordered prayer life. Well, we'll give you that. If you stop praying with your spouse, start again. If you stop praying around the dinner table, start again. Switch off the telly and start a pray. If your prayer life is haphazard and all over the shop, buy a moleskin. If you say to someone, I will pray for you, do it. What a difference that would make in a church. Pray with sincerity. One channel, one heart, one eye, one ear to bend. Pray with simplicity. Normal words. Pray to your Father, who's always there, who just happens to be the King of Kings. So fear him a little bit. God first, then us. Pray with the vision of the Son of God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your moral will be done on the earth. And pray for your bread and milk, for life, strength, health. For the capacity to endure when your health is taken from you. For a spirit of generosity. For growth as a Christian. For peace and assurance. For strength for each day. For forgiveness, not at 30,000 feet, on the ground. List the sins. Tell God what it is. Admit to him. Let your conscience articulate your sin to God's face. And ask God every day that he will keep you from this, that, or the other that you know is a huge risk to your soul. Now, what happens when a church begins to pray like this? 
Well, here's what happens. The name of God will be honored more. The kingdom of God will come more. The will of God will be seen more. The dependence of that congregation's life on God will be even closer. We'll be at the chalk face of dependence on God for all things. Our generosity, our liberality will be more. The volume two sin that's lurked in your life and mine for 20 years will go or get better. And we will find ourselves less often in these places of temptation than we have been. And we will become individually and corporately more like the Lord Jesus. And we will become more attractive. And people will come in and they will see stuff. And they will say, what on earth is going on in your lives that makes you live like this? And we will tell them the gospel and they will become Christians. So why don't we pray like this? Well, we are beginning to. And let's not make it a one-month wonder. Let's make it a year-long rhythm to pray like this. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this very helpful practical teaching on prayer. Make us a praying people. Make us a praying church. For Jesus' sake. Amen.